Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the True Story FM Entertainment Podcast Network. And I'm 67% Pete Wright. <laughs> or are you 73? False match! False cross, match! Cross check! <laughs> Today we're talking about Minute 38, which begins with Near Mint and ends with a thwip. Back on the show, it's Jay Shepard. Hello, Jay. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. Oh, you have so many locations to talk about today. Oh, this my God. Great. They're all locations. I can't wait. I can't wait. First up, though, we're back on the bridge of the helicarrier, wrapping up the conversation between uh, Agent Coulson, kind of wrapping it up because they get interrupted very quickly. But near mint, slight foxing around the edges. What I love about this is it really shows that he is a collector and he's using words like, uh, well, near mint is obviously a fairly easy one. But foxing, I was like, what is foxing? And I had to look that up. Did either of you know what foxing was? I do. Okay. I'm, oh, I, I, oh. I have, okay, Jay. I have big uh, book collections, so I want to avoid <laughs> that, right? It's just the deterioration <laughs> yeah. of the pages around the Probably edges. Probably have a, a, a big stash of sodium borohydride around the house, do you, Jay? Huh? Of course. <laughs> do of you? Course. <laughs> Doesn't everybody? <laughs> do you know why it's called foxing? I thought this was interesting. I am not certain. It's actually because of the fox-like reddish-brown color of the stains. Oh, okay. And uh, sometimes sometimes it's kind of the uh, ferric oxide, which uh, gets into the paper, which kind of gives it that rusty look. So that's that is fascinating. That's cool. Well, that's um, th- that's the name of my um, big swing band, uh, Foxing Around the Edges. <laughs> Foxing. <laughs> <laughs> there needs to be that needs to exist for real. That is yeah. fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. All right. Um, so, anyway, they're interrupted because Sitwell has a hit. Pete, you were you were very excited about this yesterday. Did you want to... Sitwell has a hit, yeah. yeah. No, Sitwell's very excited about his big moment here because he has a hit. It's not it's not a, a, a good hit, but then it becomes a much better hit. Yeah, 67% match. Wait, cross match, 79%. 79%. Right. So we have 79% of Loki in Stuttgart, which isn't Stuttgart. It isn't. But before we get to that, I just want to say it becomes 100%. Did you did you notice as they kind of continue? As they're talking about it? Yeah. It continues yeah. to resolve. As it turns from the uh, blurry pixels into yeah. the sharper image as we... Transition. Yeah, we we definitely have some fantasy computing going on right now with the, the whole matching, <laughs> false matching. You know, this is this is very much a kit zoom in on that sector and resolve kind of. Yeah, a, exactly. Of thing, yeah. Like playing with the satellite, the the faux yes. satellite imagery. Which hey, it looks better than the satellite imagery of of Natasha and Clint when they were uh, in the Ivory Coast. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> But yes, there was a hit on the face match. And okay, what what's funny about this particular moment here as they find the hit is Sitwell says, oh, they the hit's in Stuttgart, Germany, 28 Koenigstrasse. And then there's a line that sounds like it's Sitwell, but it also sounds like it was uh, an ADR line that they recorded later because it totally doesn't match the tone of the rest of what he's saying when he says he's not exactly hiding, unless it's a different person who says that. But it, it sounds so strangely like a different 
like tone that I'm just like, is that sit well? Did either of you catch that moment or was it just mm-hmm. one of those weird little things that stands out to me? The slight tonal changes are, are getting lost on me as I get older and my ears no longer have a 79% match. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we're sadly all getting there, Jay. We're all getting there. Well, I do think it's interesting, and this, I guess, ties into the nature of the plan that we had. So the plan was, this is my understanding based on what's going to be happening, is that Barton knew where this um, iridium was and knew who the scientist was who who had it and figured out that he needed an eye eye scan to kind of get into this particular um, facility of his. And then in the deleted scene or the extended scene that we talked about last time, he decided because Loki was feeling, you know, a little um, housebound, basically, (laughs) that, hey, if you'd like to get out for a little bit, we can work something out so you can actually come out and have some fun. That's kind of how I read the plan, because, you know, I guess Loki obviously is quite involved and perhaps makes it easier because of what he's going to do. But I don't know. The whole thing does seem a little strange to me that Loki, at this point in the story, I guess, for Loki to just be, as he says, he's not really hiding. Did it, how does it strike the two of you? Does it seem like, yeah, why is Loki, why why is this part of their plan instead of doing it more covertly? Well, I don't think Loki does anything really covertly at any point. I mean, that's part of his act, um, you know, as, as we find out. Uh, Have you seen his headwear? <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> also... <laughs> Uh, going back to what I was talking about yesterday when we were, were discussing just the you know the mindstone control over them, I always thought that for whatever the characters quote unquote came up with on their own that somehow Loki was like controlling this like there was some sort of uh implied ownership of from him into the actions of the other characters via the mindstone i mean i don 't know that any of that's really depicted but that's just kind of how i've always thought about it i guess hmm like loki's loki is making these calls yeah loki's making the calls but you know it barton says that he wants loki to do this and it's like oh that's great you know but it's probably loki going okay now ask me yeah uh, to <laughs> right. uh, do this right so that's that's on brand for loki too right i mean that's been yeah, on brand and, since thor i'm gonna write a play about me you're gonna say the things that i write and yeah right and and you know it's it's not as much like headcanon as like it just is right for the character you know it's not me just trying to <laughs> make up something that i believe for this so I also, I, I really, I, I think, to me, it's always, the, like, it, that may be true, but it's option number one for me. It's that Loki doesn't care because he is the uh, presumptive ruler of all Midgard, right? Like, he's, that's just who he is. So he What are they going to well, do to him, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, right, yeah. right. Now, here's another question. How do they get here? <laughs> right. Any thoughts on that? I'm assuming it's all those enemies that Shield has that they're working with. They must have. Well, because don't they? Some they other have, uh, They have a Quinjet, right? They have a Quinjet when they fly up to the helicarrier later. They parked it in back, isn't it? Parked on the other side of the building. Yeah, just in the 
They gave it to the valet. You disagree? <laughs> it's a valet, right? I just, it, it, I find it very interesting. I so sure if there if there's a whole contingent of Shield, maybe they're working with Shield Hydra agents. I don't know, but anyways, they, if they if they have a Quinjet, then obviously these people who don't like Shield are also Shield, right? Or unless Barton is the one who specifically went and took a Quinjet. I don't know, but somehow, it just, there's a lot of stuff that they're doing. And getting around in ways that I do find, um, I, I it stretches things a little bit for me sometimes when it's like. I mean, if it's really Stuttgart, but really it's just a couple blocks from oh, their lab. Right. So all right. All right. From the other. <laughs> I, I hate I, to burst I, your bubble. I know. I know. But, well, I just just in terms of the distance, though, I was curious about this because as Fury says, Cap is up. He's it's his turn to go over there. We don't know where the hell carrier is. Let's just say, though, it's still off the coast of New York somewhere, right? A Quinjet, according to uh, according to Marvel lore, can fly up to the speed of sound about or about Mach 2.1, which is about a little more than like almost 2,600 kilometers per hour or just over 1,550 miles per hour. If they were off the U.S. coast, that's about 3,900 miles or 6,300 kilometers to Stuttgart, which is about a two and a half hour flight for Steve if they fly at top speed. I guess that can be done. I guess that can happen. But it does seem like Loki is not hanging around there for two and a half hours waiting for this whole thing to start. Right. Once they would get the hit in order to, uh, you know, oh, we got we got to get there in two and a half hours, uh, you know, before that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Now they move at the speed of plot as as needed. It, well, that's that's exactly what it is. All of their vehicles, all of the the bad guys, everyone is moving at the speed of plot to get to where they need to be. So, so. the helicarrier actually took a course um, vertically as the Earth rotated underneath it, and when they came back down momentarily, <laughs> uh, you know, it had already rotated underneath them. Right. Hopefully, it was going the right direction, unless Superman was flying backwards around the world at that point as well. In which case, that would have been problematic. So many things to take into account. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it plays fine. It plays fine. It it does. It's it is just one of these things. We got to get the story moving, and so this is what they're doing. And so, and it's, and it's day on the helicarrier, and it's night. You know, uh, later. Yeah, which would make sense because if the if they're, I mean, if it's you know five o'clock here, it's going to be what like. Uh, uh, 11 o'clock over 10, there 11 o'clock yeah, yeah. so like that. yeah so i mean it makes sense so i i buy that um but yeah everyone is getting around very quickly and that is one of those things but anyway let's stop talking about this let's talk about stuttgart our real location first the exterior we're meant to assume this is uh 28 konigstrasse which sure doesn't look like this I don't, I don't know what they were actually <laughs> intending it to be, but where did they really film this, Jay? Again, Cleveland. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is um, part of Public Square in Cleveland, and the building that the uh, that we see here with the um, spotlights and the cars pulling up in front of it in, in the wide shot is actually called the Tower City Center, which it actually says um, underneath the clock. So you can see the clock on the exterior of the, the building and in the architecture, like hammered or chiseled out, it actually says Tower City Center. So obviously they did some um, CGI work to uh, cover that up. 
because that would be kind of silly for Germans <laughs> to have a bunch of weird English uh, words. Right. <laughs> uh and yeah, I mean, it, but it looks nice. Like when I see this, I don't immediately go, "Wow, that really looks like Cleveland." You know, I, they they picked a good location. I think I think it is a really good location, and you know, they did kind of the thing that you see a lot of uh, film crews do when they want to get kind of the glamour shot, right? It's all wet down and kind of yeah. slick oh, yeah. and wet streets, um, wet streets. We've been talking about that since Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, and it's just, but it's it, it's crisp and clear. Um, yeah. And then we cut inside, which yes. you would think they're in Cleveland, right? We're just going to go inside the building to film it. No, no, they went they went entirely <laughs> someplace else for that. Well, it's it's still in Cleveland, but they went to the Cuyahoga County Courthouse, which may or may not actually have that giant ox uh, cow. The uh, table, table, like the two headed, like the weird table thing that they have in here. Yeah, yeah, right. That's a that's very Grecian feeling, or or potentially Norse. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm not exactly sure what direction they were going with it, but yeah, I looked at actual pictures of this courthouse. They don't have, from what I could tell, they don't have it here. It looks like people rent <laughs> this place out as like for weddings and all sorts of events and stuff. God, it's um, a beautiful building. It really is. And what is Cuyahoga County doing with a building as beautiful as this? I mean, no disrespect, <laughs> Kyle wow. County residents. Listen to but, you. Yeah. Oh well, it's because they're not spending it on their sports teams. How? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. Wow. We're just, uh, we're making all sorts of friends in this episode. Yes, all sorts of <laughs> Well, the location's great, I, and we're definitely going to talk more about it over the next couple episodes because there's some fantastic art and stuff in here that is really interesting to see. It looks like something that, yeah, you're, it's like I don't, I don't think Cleveland when I see this, and so I think they did a good job of finding something that does feel a little, a, a little different um, when they were filming here. Yeah, and I don't know that you would figure out what this was at you know if you like if you didn't know right so exactly unless yeah unless you're a resident of cleveland obviously then you're going to be able to go oh i totally know what that is but i for the rest of us it's like i have no clue no clue at all now i have a question for the two of you do either of you have any sense as to what sort of event this is supposed to be no like what are they what are they pretending this is that was my big question. Is it like is it like an art auction, or they're all waiting to go into an opera performance? There's always an opera of some sort going on in Cuyahoga County. <laughs> in Stuttgart. Stuttgart. In Stutt I mean, Stuttgart. Right. Yeah. Yeah, an opera sounds like it might have been something that would have been on my mind, or potentially even, you know, it's um, it's a it's a fundraiser, right? Because they do have the external uh, quartet or. However yeah, the, piece, yeah, uh, the string, it's a string quartet, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and somebody's speaking, like, and I don't think if it was an opera, I don't think they'd have somebody in the lobby uh, stepping up to a microphone to kind of talk to the audience, you know? Yeah. So I, yeah, I guess some sort of political event, maybe a fundraiser. I think I'm, I'm in with fundraiser. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. fundraiser is sort of event. A lot of black tie, a lot of fancy dress people here with the quartet and everything. I mean, it looks it looks really nice. What was interesting is they they have these banners on the side of the building and inside that in uh, they translate to they they say Eroberung und Opferung, which translates to conquest and sacrifice. And it has dates on it, May 4th through October 21st, which makes me think that they're 
at least the the production designer's intention is for this to feel like an uh, like an art uh, museum. Yeah, maybe it's a, an opening of a new wing or a new yeah or the exhibit or something. Someone's some benefactor. Uh, uh, well, event. it does start May fourth, and today is May third, so that would make sense if this is a, a like a big event, kind of the opening of the like the official opening of this particular exhibit that they're going to be doing mm-hmm. here. Mm, okay. so, yeah, uh, there, there, we just figured it out because I believe today, according to the wiki, is May third when all of this is actually happening. So the second of Fury's big week, I guess that was no, the, that uh, was that was last year. His his big week happened, or a couple of years before. Oh, was it? Yeah, oh, okay. it was. It was during I guess it Thor. Was the, no, it was the pre because it was the prequel to the Avengers. I guess. Yes. 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 Gotcha. So, um, all right. Anyway, the string quartet is playing. It's their uh, the Takax Quartet. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that. It's got uh, one of those funky accents. They've been around since 1975. They formed in Budapest, and uh, it it is always. I remember Budapest. Ah, <laughs> uh, I wonder if they do though. I wonder if they remember the Takax Quartet performing when they were in Budapest. <laughs> They um they've been around since seventy five. I think that the same four people performed in it until nineteen ninety three when they had the first person step down. Um and then the people that are playing now, I think two of them are still playing. Because I think one of them that is still playing today is one of the original people who uh, who started with it, and so kind of uh, like amazing. the Wiggles, I guess, right? Kind of like the Wiggles. I, I'm sure they would love being compared to the Wiggles. <laughs> the Wiggles. <laughs> uh, but they are playing uh, string quartet number thirteen in minor, Rosamund by Franz Schubert. That is the music we're hearing. Now, something interesting happens here, and I just wanted to get a sense for from both of you as to like uh, how this plays for you. We're going to talk a lot about this over the next couple of minutes because we have diegetic music. They are playing it here in this location, and over the course of the next few minutes, this music is actually going to shift to become non-diegetic as we go through this montage, cutting between three locations. And I, I find that to be kind of an interesting way to use the music. I, how does it play for you? Do you like the way that this music, this string quartet, kind of becomes the foundation for this montage? I think that's a pretty cool way to do it. And I would argue that it's actually only non-diegetic in one of those three locations because, uh, of course, uh, Clint is connected by um, radio, by earpiece, to to Loki, well, presumably to Loki. So presumably, sure. Um, well, but at the same time, I, I think that you could argue the music becomes non-diegetic because even though I, I guess I don't know, I, I'm, we're going to have to watch over the next couple minutes. Does the string quartet stop once the once our scientist starts talking, or do mm. they just kind of keep playing over the whole thing? <laughs> so they they uh, learned from the folks at the Titanic. Right. Gotta keep playing. Gotta keep playing. Well, okay. So we go, we're inside. We see all this stuff happening. Uh, We see our scientist. This is where our scientist steps up to the microphone. Um, IMDb game for Dieter Riesel. He is our scientist. The two of you, (laughs) dare I ask, are you fans of the work of Dieter Riesel? Should, Should I see if you have any sense as to what movies would be his IMDb? Top four known fours. Uh, let's see. Das Boot. 
<laughs> Jay's a real uh, detour of Riesling. And, uh... Was he in the hunt for Red October as well? <laughs> yeah. Is he standing next to Dupolev? He's not. He's not Russian, you guys. He oh. wasn't the cook. God, shoot, he, neither, I don't know. Neither was the know. captain. Yeah, by the way, he, he's actually only been acting since 2002. So, oh, um, okay. Yeah. So it wouldn't have been all right. No, would not have been. He actually he's German, but he did immigrate to the U.S. And so a lot of the stuff that he's actually been in, um, he plays a German, but he, I mean, he still is uh, living here. It sounds like. But I'll tell you his top four known for is the Good Shepherd. He was uh, in that. That's his oh. number one, where he played Herr Frank. Then this, the Avengers. Number three, he was in a film called Ava, the one with um, Jessica Chastain. Mm-hmm. Last but not least, someday this pain will be useful to you. Something I'm completely not familiar with. <laughs> but I've heard of the other three. Wow. So, But that last one does sound like a good uh, mantra. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> someday. This pain will, that's right. 79%. 79%. Let's remember. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, Jay. Yes. So, so our scientist starts talking or starts tapping the microphone and getting set up to kind of have his little thing here. And um, we're going to have two more locations here. I don't think Steve's ready room is anything that we need to talk about with you as far as locations. It does not rate. No, of course. Um, we'll talk about that here in a moment. But first, I do want to just get a sense from you of this last location that we have here in this montage. This is, as it's scripted, exterior guarded building. As we see it in the film, we do see that it says Schaefer, and I. This is uh, the the German that I'm going to struggle to say. Schaefer's T-shirt Heidstienst. That's great. Of course, it's Schaefer Security Services is what yes. it uh, translates to. Right, right. This was a troublesome location to track down. Um, a lot of people knew they were filming in Cleveland, and so there were a lot of you know other sites that had this kind of information up and. I wanted to be a little more complete. I wasn't just trying to parrot what a lot of other people had done. So I came looking for this and I'm like, you know, it looks high tech, right? It looks like it could be something. And and it's, we just had Barton in a Cleveland location. They would prop, presumably continue filming with him here. And I could never find anything. And I kind of went on doing other movies and I came back to this one and just, Sort of a thing tickled in my head where it's like, when you can't figure out where something is, figure out where they shot um, on sound stages, and then look outside. Because when they have to go do a quick pickup, like, you know, you just go out to the field out front, right, to do sure. your, your pickup. Mm -hmm. Yep, this is the uh, University of New Mexico's uh, film campus, uh, part of their <laughs> interdisciplinary film and digital media, uh, specifically the Aperture Center building, literally across the street from the Albuquerque um, uh, studios where they were shooting at. Of course it is. Of course it is. Wow. And it looks exactly like it does in the movie. Like it's right on a street and like you can see the sound stage like a hundred yards away or something like that. So basically this is what they were looking at every day and they probably were just like, Yeah, that's a security service building. We could shoot there. That's awesome. That is, that's perfect. So perfect. Utility shooting. Yeah. Yep. You gotta you gotta do what works. And they found a location that works well for this particular thing. So so kudos to them. I love this look. Our minute ends with the the guard 
uh, hearing a sound. Oh, wait, before we, we do that, let's talk about Steve's ready room. What do you two think of this? We, and we finally get a look at his costume that he's going to be wearing for this film. Thoughts on all of this? Brief, but very dramatic. And I do love the way the music holds up as, as it doubles as the costume reveal dramatic music. I like it. Right. Or a string quartet, yeah. Yeah, it's it's very displayed yeah. in you know the the location uh, there, which when you see it in the movie, right in the in the heat of watching the movie, it's like wow, yeah, that looks really great. But you know, you start to wonder uh, why would why would you keep it that way? In the same way that when you watch like Arrow on the CW, you know, they always take their costumes off and then they're on the mannequins, and it's like that seems like it would just be a pain in the butt to try to get that stuff, you know, set up that way. Well, Colson probably had some say in this. What if we design it like this? I don't let him see it yet. I got to set this up. <laughs> I got to get the light just right, just right. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it looks very designed, um, but it is cool. It is a nice reveal, and we got that classical music playing. Steve sees it for the first time. Uh, <laughs> no reaction from him, or is there a reaction? Going back to uh, uh, what was our Russian? Now I'm forgetting again. Kolachov. No, that was somebody that <laughs> Natasha was fighting, wasn't it? That's right. That was the, that was the first old man who was right. al- also the Polish director. That the, we, the direct, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, it's a great uh, outfit. It is interesting. Like it looks like I don't know what's on the side of it. I guess it's all a bunch of uh, weaponry that he has in this room. It's it's designed for not just him, but for everybody. But sort he does have his, yeah, he does have his special. Uh, locker right there at the end with his name uh, painted on it and everything. It's Rogers right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, we get to the end of the minute and uh, our guard gets, uh, he hears something. He turns to look and that's where the minute ends. Any last points about minute 38 or should we wrap up today? I'm good. I think this is a really believable um, sequence. Uh, like you said, um, I had no reason not to believe that this, you know, wasn't Stuttgart, because um, of course that's kind of what I um, look at now when I when I see things, and especially with all the repeat um, locations that we end up seeing um, in Atlanta on the more recent MCU films and TV shows and stuff like that. It's it's nice to see you know a bunch of places that are still relatively fresh within the uh, filming wise within the universe. When's the last, what was the last film that they used Cleveland, that they shot in Cleveland? Um, I think it was Winter Soldier. Oh, okay. So and only a few it, years. Because Ant-Man was the first, um, Ant-Man was the first um, when they started filming in Atlanta, even though they also did some, obviously, some San Francisco shooting there. Uh, interesting. Okay. Well, uh, it'll be interesting to kind of see how they use um, different parts of Cleveland um, over the next few films and just see, you know see what plays and and if it feels cleveland or if they're again succeeding in making it feel very different like they did here so all right well jay uh tell everybody again about uh what you're up to where you're out there on the internet well mculocationscout.com you can take a look at uh where these locations are that we just talked about and anything else from the avengers or any of the other mcu uh films that have uh, come out in the last uh, decade plus you can also find all sorts of podcasts and written work from me at retrozap.com, including Superhero Suite, where I talk about 
superhero films with my uh, partner, Josh. And uh, you can also read um, some MCU Location Scout uh, articles that I've written that are separate from the website that are also at RetroZap.com. Fantastic. We'll have those links in the show notes. Everybody check them out. I tell you, those maps that you put together, those Google maps are really fun to poke around in. So um, oh, thanks. It's, it's quite a lot of work that you've put into it, and it shows. It just is amazing. So I have <laughs> so much fun looking through that. So check it's that out, everybody. for sure. It yeah. is really, truly a rabbit hole. Check it out, everybody. Um, it's a lot of fun. And uh, Jay, thank you again so much for talk- talking with us today. Thank you. And Pete, thanks as always. Well, and uh, just one more plug. Make sure you check out Jay's band, Foxing Around the Edges, uh, on Spotify, <laughs> Apple Music, wherever you get your big band hits. <laughs> Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs>